I'm Chris Riley, editor of Sweet Code and founder of Fixate. I just so happen to like food and software, so I'm going to connect with developers and engineers at their favorite places to eat and chat about what it's like to build modern applications. This is Developers Eating the World. All right, so I'm here today at Killer Burger in Portland yeah. with Mike McRory. And, um, well, Mike, this was supposed to be episode one, <laughs> but it's episode 1.5, so true story. I took Mike to a Starbucks in Colorado a few weeks ago, intended to record episode one, and uh, ended up screwing up. So we're, we're doing this again, and it's going to be bigger, badder. But this is episode one of Developers Eating the World. And Mike and I just came from uh, Twistlock, our friends over at Twistlock. And we're going to roll the uh, security conversation, I think, into um, this talk, because I think it is a big thing, you know, Twistlock being a vendor in uh, application security, container security, and I want to find out more. So, but Mike, first tell me about your role, um, what you do, um, so I'm a uh, practitioner contributor for Fixate. So I write articles every month, uh, just different vendors, uh, different topics. And then uh, when I'm not writing articles for Fixate, I'm a, uh, I'm a tech lead at uh, Nike, and I Nike. work on the uh, the uh, badass <laughs> work on the uh, commerce and the cloud platform. So we handle a lot of the big shoe launches that Nike does. And a lot of the online sales. So. Now, if you can visualize it, Mike is wearing some like special um, elite Nike. So, if you're a shoe collector, you're gonna you're you're jealous right now. Whatever he's got on, I know nothing about that. Yeah, a, <laughs> I'm wearing a pair of uh, white foam posits, and they uh, they're kind of unique. They have a Velcro swoosh that you can take on and off, and oh, you can switch the color that. based on what outfit you're wearing. So. Yeah. So here at Killer Burger, uh, Mike told me, like, all right, I'm going to take you to Killer Burger because they have a peanut butter and pickle burger. So that's what we yeah. both got. Uh-huh. And, and easily it one of the delicious. best burgers I've ever had. It is. It's uh, the peanut. I was a little leery of the peanut sauce at first, but it's kind of like a Thai peanut sauce where there's a little oh. sweetness, a little savory. Nice. And uh, awesome. it goes really well with the bacon and the meat. So. <laughs> awesome. And apparently, uh, my daughters are vegan, and they have a really good hemp patty here as well. So Yeah. Okay. Vegan, so uh, my wife... Uh, vegetarian, but get, she would she would approve. Yes. <laughs> so let's let's start there because we just hung out with Twistlock. Let's talk about security in the modern application world. You know, security is like healthcare, never goes away. But what does it mean when you start dealing with like microservices and and things of that sort? Um, security is just it's huge. Uh, just you look at some of the big data breaches I've had over the past few years. Um, when you, uh, if you don't take care of security, it just has disastrous effects in your company. What does that mean for you as a developer, though? As a developer, it means it's my responsibility. Um, everyone's responsible for security. So, so that's shift left. Well, that's even more intense shift left. Like, you're, you can get in trouble. Yeah. And how there's a... Uh, how do you do that? A lot of training. Um, yeah, but also your company does something really unique. You were yeah. telling me this before, and I think that's awesome. And it gets to something else I want to talk about, the soft skills. Yeah. So what is that? So like we and actually, we, we just did this last week. Uh, once a year, Nike uh, Security puts on a, uh, it's a two-day training for all of the developers. So uh, basically, they, they get us in a big conference room, and they, uh, they make us hackers for two days. So there is uh, a sandbox set up with applications in it. Um, there are prizes for finding different exploits. Um, and we spend two days doing little mini classes and hacking the site. So 
Uh, they got loud techno going. Uh, unlimited <laughs> Red Bull and unlimited right, candy. Now I, so. now I have the visual loud techno. Yeah. Anything interesting? I mean, I, you probably can't share, but anything um, interesting? Any big insights? Did you learn anything? Um, uh, when I do it now, I've, I've learned most of the new stuff they do. Um, so now it's more of a, it's a competitive thing between the engineers to see who can find the most exploits, uh, which makes it fun. Uh, it's one of my favorite activities to do at Nike. Um, but I know uh, after the first year was when we, uh, one of the big apps we supported, the Sneakers app. And uh, very first year I did it, I came back, back to work the next week and found three or four big exploits in our application. So ways people can get around some of the restrictions we put on them. And so it's, uh, it gives everyone a really good uh, mindset about security. Once you've seen it from the other side, you understand how to defend against it. Yeah. Understand what you, you've got, you learn that evil streak too, what people can do. Yeah. If they've got bad intentions. So in DevOps spirit, how do you not become enemies with your security team? Like how, do, how, does, it, how does it work where you, know, you don't just feel like they're just trying to slow you down? Um, uh, the security team has really worked on that. Um, I think it comes down to culture. Um, and they have, uh, they've tried to enable us to do it ourselves. So that when I, when, the, when I first started, like, they were trying to push security tools. We have to run security scans, and it just wasn't anything any of us enjoyed doing. Um, but they've tried to more enable us to, we can run the scans ourselves. Um, uh, yeah, we just, we, we're given the tools to take care of security. Um, it's, they've given us ownership, and they, rather than uh, enforcing security rules and that kind of thing, they've, um, they've enabled us to enforce our own. We police ourselves, and we own the yeah. process. So. I'm sure you know if something does go wrong, it's not a matter of you lose your job. Yeah, you learn from it. You learn from it, um, and that's not, Nike's really good at the. Uh, they want you to push the boundaries. Uh, if you're not, that's cool. If you're not, and there's a Navy SEAL I used to read. He writes some really good books on leadership, and oh, his, his thing too was uh, uh, if his guys weren't making mistakes, he got upset with them because they, they weren't trying hard enough. So, so is this stuff good? Killer burger seasoning? I going to try it. it. Dangerous. We'll find out. And <laughs> I'm gonna take my first bite of this burger finally. I'm staring at it. The fries are good. Yeah, they're delicious. <laughs> I believe they're bottomless too, but after the burger. Uh... Yeah, I don't think I'll need that. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a not a rainy day in Portland. I love I, Portland's nice. Yeah. To, you came a good week too. Back. It's been blue yeah. skies and sun all week. So. Yeah. So in addition to being a contributor for Fixate, Mike's gonna uh, start working on some cool stuff to come for sweet code I'm not going to talk about it just yet but it's coming but speaking of sweet code where do you go to learn about new stuff um, a lot of it just comes from the articles I write so um, oh that's right because yeah. you're a contributor you learn yeah. a ton because you yeah yeah so I one of the big benefits to me from writing was that I got it was I was forced to learn because I like learning but sometimes when you get home after a long day like it's a lot easier <laughs> to sit and watch TV and grab yeah. a beer so. well that's what I would do yeah and that's what I ended up doing so when the opportunity came to write, I jumped on it. And um, I'll typically, I like picking articles I know stuff about, but I'd rather pick something that I, is on the fringe of what I know. So that it's, I have to go do a little bit more research, I have to learn about a, a new process or a new tool, and then find ways deal. to use that. I mean, developers are tinkerers, and it's nice. And yeah, if you want to become a contributor of SweetCode, just go to the upper right-hand corner, submit an application. Um, you get paid to play a little bit too, you know, make yeah. a little bit of money, and it's and it's been great for people's resumes also. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about that piece because I, 
in the version of the podcast that didn't make it, uh, we talked about how do you stand out? So writing is one of it. How do you stand out in just a tremendously saturated job market? And you talked about soft skills. And I've always kind of had mixed feelings about that term. <laughs> but why do you, from a developer's perspective, what do you mean when you say soft skills? Uh, well, you can, have, uh, you can have the most intelligent, amazing engineer working for you. But if he can't get along with his team, uh, or she, we are gender neutral. If they can't get along with the team, if they can't uh, communicate, if they can't write code that other people can use, eventually they're going to become a liability. So you want people who know how to code, you want people who know how to solve problems, but you also want people who can collaborate, um, who can go out and do research, uh, they can work with other teams. Um, basically they become an asset to your organization and then become part of a team, right. not just an individual contributor. Yeah, I mean, you know, seven years ago, whatever, like everybody wanted to be the rock star developer living in the Bay Area. Yeah. I quickly got disenfranchised with that whole thing. I wasn't a rock star developer. I was a very bad .NET developer. <laughs> but um, yeah, there's a lot to be said for, you know, being a very solid developer, but also being able to collaborate. I mean, a lot to be said for that. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna take my first bite. Especially as you move up in your career, um, there's a lot more collaboration that has to happen. Um, and maybe at a small little startup, like being a, a rock star developer works, but when you're building with uh, highly integrated systems. Um, yeah, it's a, it has a shelf life. Yeah. No doubt. All right, you, this is good. Yeah. I think the bacon is what, without the bacon, I couldn't, do, yeah, you need the bacon. Yeah. And the pickle is, it brings a lot of saltiness. Yeah. Um, cool. Wow, this is tasty. Yeah, it's not too greasy. The cheese it's is different. really good. Yeah. <laughs> Versus the Starbucks coffee. So, um, tell me about, I mean, Nike. Nike is the clothing manufacturer. Is that the proper term? Um, we're, a, we're a clothing brand. Clothing brand. Yeah. Not somebody you typically think being on the cutting edge of development. You guys are doing some badass stuff. We are. And not only that, you kind of embrace the whole model of two pizza teams and so forth. How does it work? How is the everything kind of divided up? Is it by service? Um, so we, uh, you know, Nike's a huge, the tech organization Nike's huge, um, which really surprised me when I started. Um, there are thousands of engineers working there. Thousands. Thousands. Um, we, uh, they're trying, you know, they're constantly evolving, trying to find different ways of doing things. Um, the department I work in right now is, uh, everything's divided into domain. So we're a, primarily, a, we support the commerce platform. So we have a team that focuses on payment options. Um, we have a team that focuses on the actual checkout experience. Um, I'm on a team that uh, maintains the admin tool. Um, we've got a team that hands, like, so we do uh, a lot of like lotteries and draws for shoes to make sure it's trying fair for our consumers. So we have a team that their whole responsibility is making sure that you know, whoever wins these draws is fairly selected and everyone gets a fair chance at it. Um, so yeah, we're, we're organized into domains and then every domain is responsible for the microservices that support the functionality that they have, so. What was the drive for being so cutting edge? Um, I think realizing that just the market was changing. Um, you couldn't just like make and sell shoes to be competitive in the world anymore. It's becoming a lot more, um, like the world's becoming more, Customers want a relationship with the brand. They just want to like wear the shoes or wear the jackets. They want to feel like they're part of something bigger. 
Um, and so being able to go in a more digital direction has allowed us to scale that a lot more um, and tailor the experience to the individual customers. So, so tell me about your stack um, without being a pitch for any of the vendors you're using, but it matters. Like the stack that you use matters. Though, like you guys using public cloud and whatever, only share what you can share. All right. Um, yeah. So we're uh, we're on the cloud, uh, predominantly AWS, but we uh, teams are free to choose who they work with. Um, we've got oh, teams nice. work with Azure. Um, I think there's a couple of teams using Google Cloud. Really? Well, how does that work? How do you get consistency? Um, and a lot of that just depends on your department. So our department's purely AWS. Got it. Um, but there are teams that are looking at, you know, what happens if something bad happens with AWS. It's how happened, do we, uh, surprisingly. Yeah. How do we uh, how do we craft our solutions in such a way that if AWS has a major outage, we can keep selling, we can keep providing content, right. and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, we're definitely not uh, locked into a platform, um, but yeah, we mostly use AWS. Um, I would use a microservice architecture with uh, every team publishes APIs and then develops behind those APIs, which allows us to be a lot more. Um, if a team wants to change. Their, uh, the language and that kind of thing, as long as they're behind an API, they can do Right, that's a big deal. So, I mean, yeah. it's not DevOps if you can't adapt. Exactly. And we and were talking uh, about that with our own platform. Yeah, and they've tried to really uh, empower teams to make their own decisions. Um, so they try to keep that like that small startup mentality with these smaller teams, but also have like uh, corporate level goals that we're all working towards. So it's, it's definitely an interesting, uh, it's an interesting culture, and it's a culture they're still trying to develop and, and make better. So you're using containers? Some of the teams are. Um, not all the teams, so it's something we're definitely looking at. Trying to make sure we go in the right direction, don't lock ourselves into a particular approach or anything like that. You know, this whole lock-in thing's really kind of got me because uh, I've looked at some organizations that are cutting edge, modern, et cetera. When you look at their stack and their environment, I'm going, Five years, you guys are, you're the old guys, right? Because you're stuck. You're not, your stack's not going anywhere. And, um, you know, and I like to think of it more in terms of like pipeline orchestration and treating your pipeline like an application. And, I, and we were talking about it earlier with uh, uh, Fixate's application because we have our own. And um, yeah, I think that's a risky thing. Like, are organizations getting accustomed to, not only think about what they're building, but thinking about how they're going to build in the future so that they aren't, and maybe lock-in's a bad term because it doesn't have to be a vendor necessarily, but it could be a process lock-in even. Yeah. You want to try and build your application in such a way that you can, uh, you can pivot quickly. So, right, a new, rep uh, new source repository comes out, release automation. It's almost like, um, you know, obviously it's kind of cliche, but the whole, infrastructure is code, it's almost like pipeline is a code in a way, like you have to treat everything as an application. Yeah. Do you have a whole team that manages how you release code or, or how does that work? We have a lot of different teams support different things. Um, there is a, and it's actually the team I started on at Nike, um, and they, they, their job is to make sure that they've got a pipeline that people can use. Um, and it's a tricky job because you've got teams running Java, you've got teams running Node, um, trying to find a standardized way for them to push stuff out. Um, where you're checking on quality, you're checking on security, um, there's accountability and auditing for who's pushing out stuff when. So when there's an outage, it's easy to find out what caused the outage. Um, 
Yeah, there's several teams that work on that. Yeah, I think we have another contributor who is on one of those teams. And yeah, it seems like an interesting concept. You have a, like a, a vetted set of tools, how they tie together, and you hope that the individual teams decide to adopt them, which I think it must matter because from a collaboration perspective, it might be easier to talk to a peer on another team and say, how do you guys address this? And Yeah. Well, then teams will start um, sort of busy switching up our platform, our uh, pipeline technology right now. And it's been interesting seeing there's document documentation from the team actually setting up the tools. Um, but as teams have adopted it, they've created their own documentation. Yeah, well, tell me, what does that look like? I thought documentation was dead. Um, you know, I know API docs exist, but... Uh-huh. Now, we do... Uh, we do a fair amount of internal documentation as well. Really? I know in the, in the days of idle, you know, they, you spend a lot of time with docs. That, but that's always kind of been a set it and forget it activity. Yeah. No, our docs are, uh, we try keeping current. Um, and I think the idea is you don't want to, uh, at least for me, and I think other, other developers share this idea, you don't want to be the guy that has to be on the team because you're the only one who knows how it works. Um, There's a comfort. I mean, that's a soft skill, yeah. isn't it? That comfort level of being being willing to be replaced, yeah. essentially, yeah. like having enough confidence. So for those of you who aren't aren't willing to be replaced, then you're wimps. Stop <laughs> it. <laughs> you're just a wimp. Yeah. Get over yourself. And then, yeah. you know, you feel good when you're like you're indispensable and you have to be. Yeah. You're the guy who has to be there until you need to take leave or you don't yeah. like your job anymore and you want to find something better. And then there's right. if you have any kind of soul, now you're stuck and you have to find a way to dig yourself out of that. Well, and, it, and it, you should always be trying to up-level yourself. Exactly. So, I think that's true in the old culture, like enterprise dev culture. Ponytail, sit in your chair, don't let anybody talk to you. That's, that's gone. Like, yeah. It just doesn't fit. Plus, there's too many people on the market. Yeah. <laughs> like you show, you show that you have growth potential, I think is yeah. interesting. Yeah, don't be afraid to be replaced. That's a, that's a really big deal. Yeah, that's um, definitely something we look for when we're hiring. Like guys who are not married to their code, guys who are looking to improve. Well, I think a lot of the people who are gonna be listening to this podcast are gonna be the developers who are trying to understand how to progress their, their career. And, and you know, what does that look like? How many people do you interview on a given week or month or? Um, so I've been, uh, we've got one opening right now. I've probably been doing you know, five to six phone screens a week, maybe one or two in-person interviews. So, wow. so um, we're, uh, we're in a fortunate situation where we have an opening, but we're also not uh, time-bound by requirements and stuff where we have to hire someone right now. Right, and yeah, so, that's a big deal. So we've had, some, we've had some really amazing rock star developers come through, guys with a lot of experience, guys with a lot of talent. Um, a lot of us just trying to find that right match. You know, every team has their own unique culture. Trying to find someone who's going to challenge our team, but also is going to be able to match with the team. Yeah. And take us to another level. So. Yeah. I wouldn't even know how you interview for that. Um. Yeah, a lot of different things. We ask. Uh, yeah, we ask a lot of technical questions. We ask a lot of like behavioral questions too, like how they handle different stresses, how they handle changing priorities, um, how they handle how they deal with failure, because uh, failing's hard but it's also an important part of growing, so. Yeah, yeah, and, and with modern dev, you move so fast, you can't let that be uh, something that stops you from, from cranking out 
Yeah, it should be, you fail, you figure out why you failed, and you find ways to make sure it doesn't happen again, and then you charge forward until you hit your next failure. So right. it's, it's a continuous improvement. Um, yeah. Which makes it exciting, but it's a little nerve-wracking too. <laughs> well, I mean, when, when something like that happens, what does your team do? Like, do you have a post-mortem? Um, yeah, uh, just depending on the type, the size of the error. So we'll do retrospectives every couple of weeks. Um, it'll pick up the smaller things. Um, if we have a big security incident or uh, something happens in production which affects multiple teams, um, yeah, we'll do an after-action review, um, get everyone in a room who's involved, uh, talk about exactly what happened, figure out you know, if it's something that was preventable, why didn't we figure it out before, um, and then what changes we can implement in the organization to try and prevent it from happening in the future and, and move on. Right. That's cool. So, you know, you work at an awesome organization, awesome dev team. How did you get there? What was the path? <laughs> Where'd your journey start? Um, so I, uh, I learned how to program elementary school. My dad, you know, brought a, one of those ancient IBM PCs home from work. Yeah. Taught me how to use uh, GW Basic, and I learned basic programming. Uh, did a little bit of Pascal in high school. Um, my dad's been a system engineer. Uh, he switched jobs when I was about five or six. Um, really hard worker. Um, and he, uh, we were living in South Africa at the time. He worked on a lot of really big government projects and that kind of thing. And um, kind of as aside from that, he was just he was always at work. Worked really hard, spent a lot of late nights. And so by the time I was like 18, 19, I was never going to get into anything software related. Uh, it was just, I enjoyed it, but it was just a world I didn't want to get into and have a family. So um, I went down other routes. I was looking at uh, hotel management. Hotel uh, management, engineering, that's got to be weird. Architecture, I looked <laughs> at law for a while. Um, and I was working in a manufacturing facility. And one of the uh, school kids we had working for us came in one day and asked if I had any uh, programming experience. And he had a little, uh, I think it might have been a basic program he was working on. He was stuck, so I went and took him in my office, went through his code, I showed him how to do the assignment, and he was like, he was really excited. And then I was like, but you know, if you wanted to make this really cool, and we added in some extra loops, we added in some like bling. Um, I spent an hour with him and went home just on cloud nine. You were hooked. Hooked, yeah. Realized I'd like lost his passion. It was right when like everyone, you had webmasters making 100,000 a year and stuff. Oh God. So I uh, signed up at a tech school, did like a two-year certification. Um, it was, uh, and then the dot-com crash happened, and you just couldn't get a job without experience. So I kind of, I was an admin for an IT department for a while. Uh, did a lot of just little different kind of weird jobs, um, and then finally managed to break into software. I got a job with the state of Utah. Uh, worked on their uh, internal apps for their HR department. Um, moved from there to a procurement uh, company that did government procurement. Um, and moved from there to a law enforcement company, also based in uh, Utah. And uh, it was really exciting, but I'd been there for a year or two, and I was starting to work 80-hour weeks, starting to work all weekend. Um, it was the whole, the whole reason I didn't want to get into software. Um, and I was just getting burned out, so uh, after a particularly bad week at work, the recruiter called and uh, said, how would you feel about moving to Nike? How would you feel about moving to Portland and working for Nike? And that was like, check both the boxes for me. Um, my family and I were looking for kind of a change. Um, I desperately needed a change in my career. And I came out to Nike and it was, uh, it was a good change, but the first six months, they were rough. Uh, when you go from working in a small little like Skunkworks team yeah, right. at a small company, 
to an organization like Nike, it's like you're drinking oh, from a that. fire hose for six months. I've never, yeah, I've never even experienced that, I bet. Yeah, and it was, uh, yeah, it, uh, I was burned out anyway, and then that was, it was rough, but um, I love, I love working for Nike. They've got a really good work-life balance once you can kind of get the stack down, once you figure right. out how everything works. Um, Portland area is amazing. Like yeah. just the greenery and the trees and the outdoor activities. Um, and then uh, just Nike as a company, like they sell shoes, they sell clothing, but they also are very involved in the community. Um, they're trying to make the world a better place. Um, there's, a, uh, there's been a semi-trailer parked outside my office the last week. And that uh, the slogan on the side is the ball should bounce the same for everyone. And it's the idea that, you know, sport is the great equalizer. You know, it doesn't matter who you are, what your background is, sure. your gender, your sexual orientation, like, sport's what makes us all equal. <laughs> and uh, I love how Nike does that. So it's, it's uh, I've got to improve my career. I get to work for a company that's doing cool things. That's um, awesome. And yeah. I get to work with Fixate now too, so I, yeah. like, life's almost perfect. Yeah, well, and, and uh, I think developers are, mistaken when they think the only place to do cool tech is in the Bay Area for a startup. Yeah. Let me tell you, most of those startups are, well, they're, yeah, they're not what they, <laughs> they're yeah. not what they see. And I, um, I interviewed, I've had three or four interviews in the last couple of weeks with the guys from the Bay Area who are uh, just looking for something better. Yeah. They're, they're oh, yeah. Better. Right. For the role that you currently have open. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a lot of fluff. Yeah. Um, well, Mike, you know, from uh, South Africa to Portland, from hotel management to uh, leader in a dev team at, at Nike is uh, just an awesome story. I really appreciate you taking the time um, with uh, one, episode 1. 1.5, the complete episode, and the uh, peanut butter bacon pickle burger, which is pretty damn good. I almost finished it. I'm going to let you finish yours, but uh, thanks for joining the developers eating the world and uh, of course you know we continue to work together so <laughs> yeah which I'm excited about yeah thank you All right, thanks okay